Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wednesday Conversation. I'm Bethany Gilbert and I'm here with Pastor Bob Thune and Pastor Dusty White of Quorum Deo Church. On Wednesdays, we sit down to talk about how the gospel of Jesus Christ connects to the questions and issues of everyday life. Today, we're talking about the heart of our political tension. Hey, it's November, everybody. There is a little bit of tension. Happy election season. It's the midterms. Every year at this time, we sort of end up talking about politics on our podcast because it's like, it feels like for the last six years, this has just been an odd time of the year. Yep. I do remember as a kid, this season being like, may the best man win. Yeah. It's a little different now. <laughs> a little different now. Um, I, w- I want to bring together, so I, I realize everybody's going to the polls next Tuesday, or maybe you have already a mail-in ballot or whatever. You know, most of us who are trying to do our civic duty are trying to think about, you know, voting and things like that. This is not really a podcast about voting. It's a podcast about the broader tensions that I think we are all feeling right now. And when I say we, I mean Christians. So I've been trying to, for the last six months, just sort of like make sense of some of the fraughtness and some of the ways that this conversation seems really challenging, even within the church among Christians, in ways that it doesn't seem like it did six or eight or 10 years ago. And I think I recently have put some things together. (laughs) Maybe it's just that I've read enough stuff that other people have said interesting things. I feel like, Oh, there you go. That names it. But here's, here's what I think that when I, when I say the heart of our political tensions, that's the subject of this article. I just want to name what I think most Christians are feeling. And that is the tension between, um, texts like, um, Hey, I want everyone to, you know, live at peace with all men, Romans 12, 18, or, um, hey, make, you know, as uh, work, live a quiet life, work with your own hands. First Thessalonians, second Thessalonians, first Timothy all say something to that effect, right? Just like, hey, pray for, you know, that you might live a quiet life in all godliness. So it's sort of this reality that like, hey, the end and essence of the Christian faith is not political activism. The end and essence, like if you think about what did the early Christians do? They were instructed, hey, just love your neighbor yourself, live a quiet and peaceful life, be a good citizen of Rome. Uh, you know, there are places where you need to be countercultural, be a conscious and subjector, but it's not a revolutionary kind of faith. It's, it's a, sort of a quiet, right, implicit revolution based on faith in Christ. So I think there's a whole tribe of Christians in America that, that they have that operating assumption of like, hey, Christ, Christians aren't called to like try to change the culture by the levers of politics. We're meek and mild. Yeah, but it's not even that. I think it, sometimes it characterizes that, but I, I really do think these people are basically saying like, hey, let's not make the, f- let's not try to get political influence so that we can use politics to change things because that's not our calling. And I think they're right in that. And I think for a long time, I would have said, yeah, that's kind of where I land. I think there's a, the, the live question right now is, are there things happening culturally and politically that push Christians now in a direction where it's like, nope, now political activism is necessary in a particular way. And I think people can have differing opinions on that, but that is, I feel like what's creating the tension is that there are, I think suddenly a bunch of energy, especially in the Christian community and maybe just in more broadly politically conservative circles. But I think especially among Christians, there's energy now that says, nope, there's some things on the table right now that feel like first order issues and at what point do we need to stop sitting back and going, well, let's just live a quiet and peaceful life in our local church 
And at what point do we need to say, nope, now we're called to some kind of meaningful action. So do you feel like that's because everybody kind of has their thing that they need to be fighting for their agenda? And so that's where Christians are at now. Or do you feel like it's just no. because of the main things on the table? No, I, th- well, I'm going to make a case for what I think it is. You, you guys might totally disagree Let's with my go. case and, and I'm sure there's listeners who will disagree with my case because it, it's a podcast after all. But, um, I think the current push in the areas of sexual ethics and especially transgenderism is for many Christians, a, a dividing line. It's for many Christians, a moment where it's like, Hey, now we're talking about first order issues in a way that requires political involvement. So if I were to say it in an overly simplistic way, I think there are some people who would say, Hey, if we just sit back and keep, you know, living quiet lives and peaceable and going to church, but not caring about what's going on at the school board, what the curriculums are in the schools, et cetera. Um, we're just going to get more and more gender ideology handed to us. And that, you know, to go back to your story about the pronouns, when you took your son to college, right? Like now we're all going to be asked to swim in waters that just like don't align with us in the first place. And the reason we're being handed all of that is because we're not doing anything to not be handed that. Yeah. Yeah. And so I do think I was reading in first things, in the November issue, this statement from evangelicals and Catholics together. The title is Fear God, Honor the Emperor. I don't know if you're familiar with evangelicals and Catholics together, but it's an interesting little consortium. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Both on the evangelical and Catholic side, there's like evangelicals who like these people and there's evangelicals who don't. But it's basically, it goes all the way back to 1994. It was formed by Richard John Newhouse, who was a Catholic public intellectual, and Chuck Colson who was kind of a standard evangelical influencer. And so today, the people who are a part of this statement are on the evangelical side, people like Kevin Van Hooser at Trinity Divinity School, uh, people like Bruce Riley Ashford at Southeastern Seminary, people like Peter Lightheart at Theopolis. Um, And then on the Catholic side, folks like R.R. Reno at First Things, folks like Matthew Levering, um, some of those kinds of people. So there's a whole you know, list of names of all the people who are sort of part of this little group called evangelicals and Catholics together. But in this piece, what they're trying to frame out a Christian approach to political engagement. And, you know, it's a four or five page piece and you can go read it if you want to, but, but the interesting connection they make at the very beginning of this piece is this leaders of the civil rights movement urged resistance to laws that enforced racial discrimination. They appealed to natural law and God's law with the aim of reforming our civic order in accordance with transcendent standards. So they're saying, hey, go back to civil rights movement. It was a movement of civil disobedience of nonviolent opposition based on the fact that these laws were unjust. And so we're not going to just sit by and let them be passed. We're going to take action in a way that leans into natural law and says these laws are unjust. Okay, they go on to say basically, and that's what's happening right now with gender ideology. The article goes on to say, in 2015, the Supreme Court of the United States took political possession of the institution of marriage, redefining it so that men may marry men and women may marry women. More recently, the court adopted the view that men who wish to be regarded as women and women who want to be seen as men must be accorded protection against discrimination. This refusal to acknowledge nature 
and recognize divine authority puts Christians and all citizens in a perilous position. And I think the aligning of those two things just made sense to me because what I realized is I think that's what a lot of Christians are intuitively feeling is that, hey, the when you tell me I have to call a woman a man and a man a woman, you're forcing me to to act in a way that I know violates not just my conscience, but natural law. And so it feels like it's different than like, can we agree to disagree about all kinds of things, you know, which sort of the classic way we operate in a pluralistic society is to say, can we just agree to disagree about a lot of stuff? Yes. But that suddenly on some of these gender issues that there are many Christians who feel like, nope, now we've crossed a Rubicon where I I, I can't just agree to disagree with you because you're going to make me use a different pronoun. And so now we're, now we're in a category that's like a category of reality. Yeah. Not just a category of, can I just disagree with you on that? Cause you're stamped in the image of God in one way. And I cannot in my conscience go against that. Right. So funny in this same article or this same issue of first things, there's a little piece called the pronoun ritual. It's written by Samara Kawash, who's a professor at Rutgers university. She's a gender and women's studies professor. So she's a fascinating voice because she's generally her discipline is going to be far to the left in terms of progressive ideology. But she's writing about exactly the experience you had, Dusty. She basically took her daughter to college. She was asked to like introduce herself with her pronouns in every setting. And she's just writing about how, you know what? That's weird. That not, not only does she say that's weird. She says it's framed as a matter of hospitality. It's framed as like, Hey, look, this is just a way to be hospitable to people who are non-conforming or gender non-binary. And so if we just all state our pronouns, it's just a matter of hospitality. And so she says, if you just take it at face value, it's just an, they're they're trying to say, Hey, just be nice. Say your pronouns. It's not hurting you. And it's just kind to this person across the room who might be gender non-conforming. But she says, it seems to me, that as we yoke pronouns to proper names and add a subtle element of social compulsion, the basic function of pronouns is altered. For those of us who do not accept the radical gender ideology, male and female pronouns correspond to the essentially male and female reality of human beings. And so what she's saying is, if you're asking me to state my pronouns, you're actually doing something with language and reality not just hospitality. And and so again, she's naming here a place where it's where I think many people feel like hey, in the same way that civil rights was saying, you know, to black people, hey, you're you don't get the full rights of a citizen because you're less than or you you, you don't you don't have the same sort of rights and responsibilities as a majority culture person and the civil rights movement would just say, no, no that's just wrong. That's unjust. It's not in line with reality, right? Human beings are made in the image of God. And we will not be treated differently or allow our culture to treat people differently based on their race. And it feels like with this gender stuff, it's kind of in the same category. And I think that's why a lot of Christians, I think that's why there's debate right now in the Christian community on (laughs) how should we use political power to affect that? Because... And this is all fraught with weird, you know, weird post-Trump realities. So I don't know what to do with it all. (laughs) But I I think there are a number of people who would just say, hey, if you're unwilling to say, I'm going to run for school board and I'm going to make sure that we don't have to use pronouns in class. 
And yes, is that an assertion of political power? You bet it is. And it's the right thing to do. If we don't have Christians with the courage to say that, then we're going to end up being handed a culture where <laughs> now we have to all state our pronouns in ways that go against people's conscience and against natural law. So I think what's interesting to me is that the reason I wanted to call this the heart of our political tension is because this is what I sense in the Christian community is this tension between that live a quiet life, don't be too political with the tension of, yeah, but are we in a moment where actually weird conscience would compel us to be political because it's for the good of our neighbor and for the good of our society. And I think it feels to me like the Christians I know are kind of split down the middle on that. Like some of them would fall in the like, Hey, don't be all politically active. You know, let's just preach the gospel, be faithful Christians, faithful presence over time. And then there's a bunch of other people who are like, Nope, we're, we, <laughs> that has a shelf life and we've done that. And now it's time for us to act. And so somewhere in there is the courageous question, right? Like what's required of my courage? What's required of me to step in, to live in this society? I can't just like watch all this happen. Right. That's, well, that's, I think, that's what I think more and more people are feeling is like, yeah. I can't just stand back and watch this happen. And what's fascinating to me. So I have here in front of me, the Omaha world Herald, an artifact from the real newspaper. You guys right here, <laughs> not reading it online. I get the real paper. From Tuesday, October 18th, so a few weeks ago, uh, the front page article is about the race for the Nebraska State Board of Education. And here's what's fascinating about it is uh, this race in our state is among the hottest races in the state. And the article says, basically, usually these candidates are not only unopposed, but there's only ever one person running. It's like, Bethany, if you want to be in Nebraska State Board of Education, Go you can, it. because nobody's running against you. And uh, so it's usually like this very low profile. No one really cares. Just whoever wants to do it can do it. We're all going to check the box for whoever's name is on there because there's no one running against them. Well, this year, four seats are open. All four races are contested. It's four conservative people. I'm not suggesting they're Christians, but they're politically conservative. And every single one of them is animated to run because of what's happened in this board over the last 12 months. And the article says uh, a decision for the next board, whoever gets elected, will be whether to continue writing standards in areas not required under the law. The board drew little public attention when it approved such standards in the areas of fine arts, physical education, world language, and career and technical education. But that changed in 2021 when the board unveiled voluntary health education standards addressing sexual orientation and gender identity. The initial draft called for teaching children as young as first grade about gender identity. The public responded with a firestorm of criticism that led the board to postpone development. And every one of these four candidates, that's why they're running for this board is they're like, well, doggone it. We're not going to be issuing standards on teaching kids about gender identity. That's just not where we're going to go. And so, again, I'm using that as an example in our state of an issue that I think is animating a bunch of political activism and engagement that I think there's two ways to look at it. There are some Christians who would sit back and go, well, people are just getting all animated about gender stuff. And it's like, you know, this is like another round of the religious right doing all their political stuff and getting engaged and, you know, trying to grab the levers of power and do stuff. And there's part of that that I think just kind of is cynical. And there's part of it that maybe comes out of a conviction that like, hey, 
that's not the way we should approach power and influence in society. But I think there's another, there's another set of Christians who, who I think are looking at this and saying, yeah, and we kind of have to do that because, again, we're pushing up against a first-order issue. And I think there are enough people, not just in our state but around the country, in this election who are sort of saying, hey, I'm not going to sit back and get handed to me a radical, unbiblical vision of gender and sexuality if I live in a democracy and I have the opportunity to run for office or vote for people, I need to use that power in ways that fight on this particular issue because this is a first order kind of issue. It's a matter of natural law. It's not just a matter of what does the Bible teach about this. It's a matter of like, is there truth inscribed on our bodies or not? Do pronouns matter? Do they reflect reality? And it feels to me like there's a lot of people that that's now become, I I wonder if for us, this is a, um, a moment where it's kind of like, yep, it's time for us to engage on this particular issue. And because otherwise we're going to be handed a world where, (laughs) where you can't actually embrace a biblical view of gender and sexuality because the rules won't let you. And there's gotta be a way to do that in a peaceable, kind, gentle, honorable way, but still use scripture, still use scripture like Acts 529, where we must obey God rather than men. Right. And step into which the article references, which and step into these these places where democracy is available. Well, I think, yeah, exactly. I think there are people who are saying this is why politics exists. If there is a I'm trying not to name names or maybe Uh, maybe another way to say it is uh, politics has always existed. And for Christians, we haven't had to use it so much or care so much because we've been exiles in the land. Yes. But I also think there's a. There's a vision of power that says, hey, Christians, political power is an icky kind of power. Christians shouldn't use it, you know, which is kind of like you get why people think that way. But I I think the the question of like, yeah, but if we live in a democracy, if how we exercise influence is through the voting booth, through the ballot box, through running for things like a school board, is this a place, is this a moment where Christians need to step into that? Go, yeah. We got to get involved. We got to, we got to use our power and our voice in this moment to fight for what's good and true and right. And to oppose, this is where I think it gets thorny. No Christian wants to oppose anything. Yeah, exactly. We only want to be for stuff. Right. Because it feels like opposing is kind of icky. It's like, oh, I don't want to be against that thing. And so when it's like, hey, what can we be for? I think that's where we, we love words like, you know, winsome, kind, charitable, Right. When it's like, no, I need to oppose something. Now it feels like there's more of a, right? It, it requires more courage. It requires a different kind of disposition. And if you're saying, no, we're going to oppose that sex education curriculum. Well, now you're against something. And no one wants to be against stuff because it feels more combative. It feels more like a posture of um, opposition because it is. And I think that's the place, going back to our podcast from a few months ago when we tackled James Wood's article. This is the place where I think the question is, is like, is, is, is winsomeness and only being for things, the posture of a Christian, or do we need to say, nope, we're also against some things. We're against the revising of gender. We're against mandated use of pronouns. We're against social compulsion that requires us to pretend like reality isn't reality. And we're just going to get up and say that we're opposed to those things and not, not apologize for it. And this is the place where I think our, our political tension lies right now. 
I don't know what to do with all that. I'm just trying to name it, yeah, you guys, yeah, and say, yeah, hey, yeah. this is this is where the tension is. Well, I think what you're naming is I'm for preserving the image of God and God-given sexuality, and therefore I'm going to have to op- oppose my neighbor in a – and I can do that in a godly way. Mm-hmm. There's got to be a way to do that in a godly kindness, and I should probably step into that. I'm kind of wanting to run for school board right now, but that's a little weird because my kids are homeschooled. <laughs> I'm already on the board. I'd vote for you. Bethany would vote for you. <laughs> You get Bethany's vote. School I think if board. they dug up a little research, they'd be like, I don't know about this guy. He homeschools his kids or did at least until now. <laughs> well, this is uh, the the challenge of needing to be against things. This is what I feel like the interesting challenge for Christians in our day is. And the, the, it, it's, it's complicated by the fact that there are so many Again, I'm trying not to use political labels and names because it's not helpful. But there are many right-wingy people who just are opposed to lots of stuff and kind of have a real combative personality that I think it feels like, oh, when I'm aligning myself with those people, that feels even more icky than just me being opposed to something because there's also all these other people who just want to fight. And I don't necessarily want to line up with them in the yeah. same in the same fight. However... This article, I mean, this is why it's interesting to draw the connection to civil rights, because I think the, if you would have asked the civil rights people, what are you for? They had a clear vision of what they were for. They also were un, unapologetically against some things, against some laws that were unjust and just willing to say, these are wrong. We're going to oppose these. And uh, in the same way, I think Christians right now are faced with this moment of, hey, not just what are we for, but are we going to be against anything? Are we against radical gender ideology being taught in the classroom if we are? races like this Nebraska Board of Education race probably should matter to us. If we're not going to say we're against that, we're going to have to revisit like, well, why aren't we against it? Are we not against it because we're cowards? Are we not against it because we don't feel like it's wrong? Are we not against it because we don't care what gets taught to kids? Or are we not against it because we don't have convictions on this issue? It, it just, it's a, it's a moment where it forces Christians to ask the question, not just what are you going to be for? But is there anything that you are against and what would it be? Um, and those are thornier questions, I think, for us to ask. We don't, we, especially for our generation, we just, it's, I don't like to ask. It's interesting to think about this whole thing a generation from now, mm-hmm. you know, and, and to be able to answer to our kids or our grandkids with, you know, what was, what happened? What did you guys do or not do? You know, like that's how I'm thinking about it over the last couple, over the last 90 seconds. I'm thinking more through the the lenses of like grandkids going, Hey, did you, did you try? Did you try to step into this at all? Or what did you do? Or did you just kind of like make fun of it and lament it? You know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's, that's a different angle. Yeah. Um, Back to this article from Samira Kawash. She writes, um, Gender has become entirely detached from sex or the truth of the body. It is inverted from a universalizing commonality to a particular eccentricity. We each have our own genders, which are like no one else's. In fact, some gender-fluid individuals insist that their pronouns may change from day to day or hour to hour. The essential sexual duality and complementarity of male and female are shattered. Um the interesting point she's making in this article, Dusty, is that when she went, I don't know if this was your experience and the story you shared a few weeks ago on the podcast, but when she went to this in, um, uh, university uh, orientation with her daughter, 
you know, it was like, you got to state your name and then your pronouns. Yeah. Like, so yeah. hers was, and she has a, she, she writes about the fact that her first name is confusing. It's Samira. Not a lot of people know that name. It's <laughs> sure. like, so she's like extra. She always wants to introduce herself well, because she realized like, you're probably going to say my name wrong. So let me just help you know how to say it. She likes name tags. But the point she makes is your actual name is unique to you. You're Bethany and you're Dusty and I'm Bob. And th those things describe us as unique individuals. What's not unique is the pronoun. Sure. Your pronoun is yeah. he because you're like every other he. Your pronoun is she because you're like every other she. Your name is unique, but your pronoun is general. And she's saying, when we try to make pronouns as specific as names, which is kind of what this exercise yeah. does, right? Preach. It, what it does is it assumes that there is no larger, broader reality that we participate in. And so that's, what she, that's the case she's making there is that, that gender now has become as particular as your name. And so everybody kind of can have their own pronouns. And, and what she's saying is that if you think that every one of us is both an individual and part of a whole, this pulls everything to the level of the individual and there's no longer any whole that we participate in. And it's a really, it's a really fascinating observation. Mm. Um, and, and so she's saying, actually, if Christians believe, and we do, that there is a whole that we participate in, that there's something transcendent about the world, that actually the human race is broken into a binary male, female, and you participate in one or the other of that, that we can't, we can't go along with things that pretend that that's not true. Um, and uh, that, that really at the end of the day, this is just radical gender ideology that's sort of being forced on us using all these weird levers, right? So to go back to the thing about why it feels icky for Christians to oppose something. But if you think about what we're actually doing, we're using the levers of democracy to try to say, no, something's wrong here and we're going to oppose it which is the same thing that's happening in the pronoun exercise. When you go to university orientation and they say, Hey, would you, you know, go ahead and say your name and your pronouns. That's a political move too. Right. They're using institutional power to say, yep. Hey, here's what we want you to do. This is how we do it here. Yeah. This is how we do it here. And Christians are, are probably our weaknesses. We struggle to step into those spaces and say, yeah, we're, we're going to find a way that we don't do that. here. <laughs> you know, yeah. We're, we're going to find the levers where we can use our influence for the sake of what's actually real and true. Um, and so I, I just think this is the heart of our political tension. This doesn't tell any of you how to vote next Tuesday. I realize it's not helping you know, like who should I go vote for? But I am suggesting, I think we are in a moment in our culture where issues of gender and sexuality need to rise for Christians to the, to the point of, all right, this actually really deeply matters for the sake of the world our kids are going to inherit and for the sake of the kinds of implicit rituals we're going to have to participate in for the rest of our lives and so this isn't a moment where we should sit back and go well let's just be as winsome as possible and you know only be for things i think this is also a moment where we have to ask hey is there something here that we just need to be against and against with some conviction and some willingness to use our political influence in whatever ways we can the goal of this podcast is to equip our own church for discipleship and mission. So if you're a Christian or a church leader in another context, we thank you for listening in and we pray that this conversation might be helpful to you as you minister in your context. We love to hear from our listeners. So if you have thoughts, questions, or future podcast topics, send an email to podcast at cdomaha.com. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of the Wednesday Conversation.